This message was presented at the GYC to the End in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Um, so the first session is going to be, uh, we're going to look at like the beginnings of the story. We're going to set a foundation. Um, for those of you who are somewhat familiar with the cosmic conflict as a meta-narrative, what, what our purpose is going to be in setting the foundation is to, div- is to come up with principles that will help us in the second half of our seminar when we're going to be applying now the great controversy to different scenarios. So we're, we're, there, there are a lot of themes and a lot of things you can get out of the great controversy, but what we're going to try to do is get principles out of it that are going to help us when we're now trying to apply the, the narrative to different scenarios. Does that make sense? Okay, um, so that's what we're doing in the first half. So mainly the first and second, and then the third one is going to start that application process. Um, and then the second half is going to be mostly like really practical stuff. Um, uh, I forget the order we put it in. I think we'll talk about relationship stuff. Um, so like... Dating, marriage, those type of things, men, women, things, gender relations, da da da. Um, the the next one will be about lifestyle things. Um, yeah, the miniscent marijuana one. It's it's alluding to like lifestyle stuff. So like the way you dress, uh, entertainment, um, extracurriculars, etc. And then the last one we're going to talk about. Um, stuff that affects us in our churches. I saw most of you have been in an Adventist church at least more than a year. Um, so issues that come up in our churches and, and how we can use the great controversy as a lens to help us navigate these things. We're cool? Questions? Comments? Quirks? We're good. Okay. Oh, thank you for the warning. How, like, how careful? All right. Okay. Uh, so, again, my name is Siku. Um, it's really weird for me to be here at GYC because I was at the second GYC that was ever held in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I was a college student back then. So it's, like, it's really trippy for me, like, being at a GYC as a seminar speaker because I'm, like, but I'm, a, I'm an attendee. <laughs> I'm the person who goes to GYC and is blessed, so like it's it's kind of weird for me. Um, and 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 uh, this is side note before we pray and get into the seminar. You know, um, I think for a lot of us who kind of have grown up with the GYC thing, you know, from our late teens, like going into our twenties, thirties, um, when we went to GYC, we weren't planning to keep going to GYC. Like we we really really believed that like we left GYC with this fire and we were like we're gonna go and like do crazy stuff for God um I remember uh I was I I took a year off after college to work as a missionary on a public university campus um and I see a couple other campus missionaries here Ezra (laughs) and um when, when, when we did that, like that, that summer after the, after the program, we went canvassing. And like we're in our 20s, and the way that I knew about canvassing was like it's, it's something that high schoolers do. 
But we were like, we're gonna go crazy for God, and like we're gonna sleep on the floor, and we're gonna spread the gospel. So we had goals. We're like, we're gonna give out, we're gonna uh, sell the Great Controversy, like that book. And I think maybe that's where my passion for the Great Controversy like kind of started. We'll go door to door, and we'd, we we were like, our summer goal was like 250 Great Controversies. Before the half the summer, we were done with the goal. We were like, okay, let's double it. And we went out. I mean, we were, we, we were just like, everybody needs to know the stuff that we know. Does anybody else feel that way? Yeah, you know, and our goal wasn't to come to GYC next year. It wasn't like, hey, let's go to GYC, have a good time, and then next year we're going to come to GYC and meet up with our buddies and, and go to another GYC. It was like, yo, let's go home and let's go all out for God. And next year, no more GYC because we're going to be in heaven. So that's why it's trippy for us, you know, like for, for me, being here, it's like, dude, we're still here. But at the same time, and, and this comes out for me as we study the great controversy, I think about the mercy of God, the fact that we're still here. Because how many of you were born after 2003? Show of hands. Okay. We actually got people who wouldn't, who wouldn't exist you would not exist. <laughs> okay. All right, we got, okay, yeah. Like, you, you would not exist. If, and yet God in his wisdom, God in his wisdom has seen fit that you are here and that you are part of this end time movement. And we are going to finish the work together. I re- if Jesus was coming soon then, I believe it with all of my heart, he's coming even sooner now. And if we don't get on board, we're going to get left behind. And I want to be part of that movement. And just because I'm, I'm past the age of being a GYCer, technically, doesn't mean that I can't be part of this movement. Amen, those of you who are past the age. <laughs> Amen. All right. Let's hasten the soon return of Christ. Let's bow our heads for prayer and we'll start our seminar. Dear Lord, um, here we are at GYC. It's such a blessing. It's been a blessing hearing all the messages, the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. Lord, we know that there's a world that is dying for a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are here because we want to gain that knowledge so that we can spread the gospel to the world. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would be in this room and in every other seminar as well, that you would come in a mighty and a powerful way, that you would fill our hearts with the knowledge of Christ that would compel us to go out and spread the gospel to the world. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray in your name. Amen. amen. Okay, Bible's out, please. Um, let's start in the book of Genesis. The seminar is, the, the title of this session is uh, The Genesis of the Genesis. It's like, it's the story behind the story. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to come up with seven, uh, blah, 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 blah. Hey, not that one. Yeah. All right. Seven lessons about God that we get from Genesis 1 and 2. These are not the only things you learn about God from Genesis 1 and 2, but these are going to be foundational for us as we, voila. Um, as we go into our cosmic controversy narrative. 
seven lessons about God. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning, is anyone against reading the word of God? We're good? Okay. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light that it was good. God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. The evening and the morning were the first day. And then God created, and he said, uh, let there be a firmament. Verse 7, he made the firmament. God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day in verse 8. Verse 9, God said, let the waters under heaven be gathered together. He called the earth, the, he called the dry land earth. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass. And the earth brought forth grass. And verse 13, the evening and the morning were the third day. Verse 13. Verse 14, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven. And verse 16, he made two great lights. He set them in the firmament to rule over the day and over the night. Verse 19, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. And God created great whales. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Verse 23, and the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said... Let the earth bring forth the living creatures, and God made the beast of the earth. And verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God created man in his image, and he blessed them. And he said, I have given you every herb to every beast. And God said everything that he had made in verse 31. That, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. What do we learn about God from the fact that God, when he created, he went day one, and then day two, and then day three. He went sequentially in his creation. What does that tell us about God? God of order. God is... Oh, this was supposed to be G. God is... God is organized. Yes? God, he doesn't do things random. Like he's organized in the way that he does his things. But notice too the way that he created, right? So did, did God make the, the plants before he made light? Because plants need light, right? In order to, to survive for photosynthesis, right? So God is not just organized, but God is intentional. We get that, right? Intentional. I mean, there are devotional qualities to these lessons. Are you organized? When, when you start your week, are you organized? I'm going to have a first day and a second day and a third day. And you know, Seventh-day Adventists should be the most organized people on the planet. You know why? Because we have the Sabbath. And every week is a countdown to the Sabbath. So when I come to Monday and we sing the song with my, with my three-year-old and my, my one-year-old, we sing, uh, 
only only six days till the Sabbath day, Sabbath day, Sabbath day. And then the next day we say only five days till the Sabbath day until it's only one day till the Sabbath day. Because you know what? As a Seventh-day Adventist, everything that I'm doing is a countdown to the Sabbath. Which means that when Friday comes, I'm not rushing to, to mop my floors in my house. I'm not rushing to finish my homework assignment because on Sunday, I knew Sabbath is coming. Yeah? So I'm going to do my homework to make sure that on Friday night, I'm not stressing out because I have an assignment due that night at midnight. I'm going to do my assignment as early as possible so that I'm ready by Sabbath. Make sense? God is organized. God is intentional. He, he decides what he's going to do first because what you do first impacts what you're going to do next. You've seen, you've seen the illustration of, you know, you've got rocks and you've got the container. You put the big rocks in first, right? And then you put the little rocks after because they'll fill in the gaps. That's showing intentionality. Like, think before you act. Seventh-day Adventists, like their Heavenly Father, should be organized, intentional. Here's something else that I get from, uh, it might not be as intuitive as, as these guys. So I'm going to take some time to explain it. God is omniscient. I get that from Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, we only read Genesis 1. Uh, omniscient means all-knowing. Now, in, in uh, theological circles... Um, there are certain qualities that are ascribed to God and God alone. They're called his omni-qualities. Okay? And the next one we'll do after this will be omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Omnipotent. Right. So omniscient means he knows everything. Most of the time when people think omniscient, they think knowing what's going to happen in the future. Right? Um, but let me ask you this. How many of you guys remember, how many of you have younger siblings? Younger siblings? Raise your hands. Okay. Um, how many of you have younger siblings who are less than, less than three years younger than you? All right. For those of you with your hands raised, do you remember when they were born? Kind of? Sort of, yeah. Okay. Do you remember, like, the day after they were born? Do you remember the week after they were born? Okay, actually, even those of, even those of you who don't have younger siblings, uh, how many of you have kids? Show, show of hands. Right, okay, I'm asking the parents now because, you know, parents love their kids and, you know, you caught, they're like, they're just so precious. Do you remember the first three months of their life? Like, I mean, every single day of the first three months. Because every single day of the first three months of their life was a blur. I remember it happened to me recently, right? Because you wake up, and you feed the child, you change the diaper, you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you feed the child, and you change the diaper, and you go to sleep, and then once in a while you look at the child and you're like, oh, so... So cute. Ah. <laughs> okay. The, we, our memory, even our memory of things past, we, we don't have 
an awareness, a, re, a, a realization, a, a cognition of every single detail of everything that ever happened in our lives. Yeah? Okay. Those who are younger than 20, do you remember every single thing that's ever happened to you? No. Right? God remembers every single thing. That's part of God's omniscience. Right? That's part of God knowing stuff. Like God knows every single thing that has ever happened in the entire history of the whole universe. Now, can you imagine having a memory bank like that? All right. Those of you who have friends, you know when your friend wrongs you and you remember what they did that time? The other time they did the same thing and you're like, man, you keep doing that to me. Right? Like, remember the last time? The last time we went out to eat, I'm the one who bought. And like, I'm the one buying again. Right? Because we remember. No, can you remember, can you imagine having that arsenal of like information at your fingertips all the time? Like, you know everything about them. <laughs> like, my husband hates that. He's, he's like, man, you remember everything. I don't remember everything, but I remember the stuff that's important. <laughs> All right? So, but God, God has, he, he has this memory bank. But let, let me take it even further. You know, they say that when, when they think about the way that our brains work, um, the way we remember even events that are currently happening, it differs from person to person. They say women tend to remember things that are more emotionally charged. Right? So, so something, if you're female, like something that's emotionally charged happens, you're like, she was wearing a red dress and she was wearing black shoes and that scarf didn't even match. And then she said this, right? Like your memory is like, ah, like if it's emotionally charged, right? That women are kind of like that, right? But men, you know, like you're like, he's like, hey, did you know so and so had a baby? You're like, was it a boy or a girl? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because that, that stuff doesn't really matter to them. But then uh, you get some guys who are into sports sitting together. And they're like, man, you know the Lakers and, you know, uh, Golden State Warriors. Like, you compare the way the Lakers played in 95 and the way the Golden State Warriors. I'm just like, uh. <laughs> I, our, our memories work differently, right, in terms of our experiences. God not only has a memory bank of things in the past... But God's experiential knowledge is all-encompassing. Like, he doesn't just remember, like, the emotional stuff or, like, the detail stuff, like, the, the, the logistic stuff. He remembers all of it. So God's past knowledge is all-encompassing. His, his present knowledge is all-encompassing. This is part of his omniscience. And his future knowledge is all-encompassing. This is the one that people have a hard, part with, a hard time with. And this is what we'll talk about um, when we talk about free will and the sovereignty of God. Okay? So I'll put that in the future. But I get God's omniscience from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Because God, at the end of every day, God looked at what he had made. And he looked at everything that he had made. And he made an assessment. In order for God to make an accurate assessment of what he had created, he had to have an intimate knowledge of everything he had done. Does that make sense to you? God's knowledge is all-encompassing. God is also omnipotent. Think about in the Bible, 
whenever God talks about doing amazing things, what does he refer to? What's his reference point? When he talks to Israel and he's like, Israel, I want you to obey me because I am the God who, who did what for you? I brought you out of Egypt. Anything else he says he did for them? I'm the God who created you. Right? He says, he says look, I, I want to do something special in your life. And you know on what authority I can say that? He says, because I am the creator. So God as creator, God's creatorship is, is like his mark of his omnipotence. Is there anything that is too difficult for God? Let me put it to you this way. Are there any science buffs here? Anyone interested in science? Okay. Matter. Does matter create itself? I mean, no, right? Everything that exists in the universe, when we study it, comes from something that was already pre-existing. Right? So matter had to exist in order for matter to exist. And yet, Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God spoke I'm speaking to you right now and I believe in the power of words. Words words make a difference. You know words can hurt people. Words words make a make can can move people to action. But my words do not physically create a reality, okay? Let there be dark chocolate cake that is vegan somehow and yet delicious. <laughs> right here it's not there because my words cannot generate matter right God spoke and matter came into existence okay when I, when I do something when I, if I push this chair it moves actually all of them moved Okay, <laughs> um, that's fine. Okay, when when if I do something, it, it it impacts right that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? I I I move, and and the thing that I'm moving against, it like my movement is actually affecting the air around me, but the air exists. Yet God speaks into a vacuum, and things that never existed come into existence. That is the power of God. In fact, that's the power of God's word. And we're talking about their devotional aspects to all of these elements. You know, when, when we study the word of God, come to the Bible in the morning, do I believe that the word of God has power? I mean, that, 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 that the word of God, this, what we just read, and I know we browsed through Genesis chapter 1, but that God's word has the ability to create where there was nothing. If you've seen a life that has been transformed by the power of God, you know that it's real. You know, you, you go from being a person who... And, and Okay, let me, let me say this. I grew up going to church. I grew up in the Adventist church. I must have been about um, 13 or 14. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom... I'm really annoyed that I was born into the Adventist church. You know, like, it, it really bugs me. And she's like, why? Because my parents were converts into the Adventist church. And she couldn't understand. She's like, why? Like, I wish I had known these truths from when I was a kid. 
she couldn't understand what my problem was. And I said, she, I said, mom, every time I go to church, when people give their testimonies, they talk about they were drug addicts. They talk about they were in jail. They talk about they were, you know, partying it up. And then, you know, they gave their life to Jesus and suddenly everything changed. And I said, what's my testimony? What's my testimony going to be? I grew up going to church. I helped out in Sabbath school. I memorized all the memory verses, you know, and then I went to all the evangelistic series. What's my testimony, mom? But you know what I realized? And it took me years. And GYC was part of that experience for me. Was that even though I grew up going to church, I grew up, quote, doing the right things. There's a change that God wants to work in my heart that going to church can't do. There's something, like, to love. The day I surrendered my heart to God and decided that I was going to love my little sister. (laughs) You guys don't understand, right? She's five years younger than me. I love her to bits now, but she's five years younger than me, and she came and ruined my life. I was the princess in that house. I mean, my parents took me everywhere. I got everything I wanted. And then she was born and suddenly nobody got time for me. Man, I was in my teens and I hated this child. I, I love her now, so I can say that. You know? and, and honestly, like just, just that transformation... The realization that I started you know, reading the Bible and wanting to do evangelism. And I realized that in my heart, I don't even love my own sister. And I know there's somebody up in here who needs to love their brother or sister. And I said, Lord, change my heart. Help me to love my own family. Like, Give me the kind of love that I'll be willing to die for her. Because I, I don't have that. And I tell you, God worked a miracle in my life. So when I talk about the power of God, I've experienced it in very real, I guess, small things, but very real things, things that you can't manufacture. The the power to forgive when you've been really hurt, when somebody not just hurt you in the past, but continues to hurt you even now. How do you forgive? Like, what does forgiveness look like in that situation? God's word has the power to bring about real change in our lives. God is omnipotent. He creates something out of nothing. And that's why we know that he can recreate us. Amen? All right, let's keep going. I I think we have four things. And let me see how I'm on my time. Oh, my. Okay. Um, here's, here's, here's something else. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to do what we did in chapter 1. We're kind of browsing through real quick. I encourage you, you know, go back to your rooms or when you go back home. Uh, go through Genesis 1 and 2 and study Genesis 1 and 2 and see what you can learn about who God is. Um, there's a beautiful thing in the Bible picking up, putting it up. There's a beautiful thing in the Bible called repeat and enlarge. Okay? The Bible uh, uh, gives you like a, a picture and then it repeats the picture in the next, next 
phase, it repeats the same thing, but it gives you more details. And then it gives you more and more and more details. And thematically speaking, the book of Genesis, this is a challenge. Every doctrine that we have, every, I'm including the sanctuary in there, every doctrine that we have, you can find it in the book of Genesis. You study the book of Genesis, every single doctrine is in there, but then you go, you keep going to the rest of the Pentateuch, you have those things repeated from Genesis and enlarged in the rest of the Pentateuch. Everything that we have from Genesis to Revelation, every doctrine we have, you can find it in the first five books of the Bible. But then you have the the first five books of the Bible, they come and they take those things and they repeat it and they enlarge it. You know why God does that? Because we are dense. Okay. God does that for our benefit. Uh, you've heard the saying, repetition deepens depression. So God has to repeat, and he doesn't just repeat it the same way. He's like, let me, let me tell you from another angle. You know, remember when I said that, you know, that uh, I'm organized? Let me tell you from a different angle. You remember the children of Israel when they were traveling? And I said, hey, organize yourself so that you can be more efficient. Like Moses, you're not being effective in the way that you're doing stuff. And it's like, hey, remember I told you I was organized? I'm organized. Right? And, and then he repeats, you go, by the time you get to Acts, he's like, hey, remember I told you way back then that I'm organized? The church needs to organize itself for ministry. So you know you need to set up, you got elders, you got to have deacons up in there. You got organize yourselves for ministry because I'm a God of order. Right? So he repeats it and then he enlarges it so that we can better understand what he's saying. All right? Okay. Why did I say that? Oh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. On the seventh day, God may ended his work which he had made. Verse 3. He blessed the seventh day. Verse 4. Um, the book of Genesis goes chapter 1 verse uh, all the way to 31 and then up to chapter 2 verse 3 that's where kind of the narrative of the first narrative of creation ends then you have a repeat and enlarge that happens in chapter 2 it repeats a portion of chapter 1 and then it expands on that part okay we're in the repeat part verse 4 these are the generations of the heavens of the earth when they were created Every plant of the field before it was in the earth, every herb of the field before it grew, verse 6, there went up a mist from the earth, verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, um, the God uh, out of the ground he made to grow every tree, verse 9, and 10, a river went out of Eden, the name of the f- first is Pishon, the gold of that land is good. The name of the second is Gihon. The name of the third is Hidekel. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, verse 16, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Let's stop there. God is munificent. Mu. That means God is is very giving, generous. Um, I used to wonder about this eating of the tree in the garden. You know, you have God saying, "Don't eat of this tree." And it's like, God, like, why can't I eat of that tree? You know. So my kids now, you know, in our hotel room, it's like, 
they, they take, uh, they have these, like, their toy, little toy cars, uh, and like, the, the car is driving around, and then the car takes off into the air, and it goes to the window, and bang on the, you know, the, the do you, rooms have, like, that big wall to, like, our room has this floor to, floor to ceiling window, and they're like, boom, on the window, and I'm pretty confident they're not strong enough to break it, but it's kind of the principle of you don't take a hard object and hit it against a glass, you know, like, come on, kid. So I'm like, <laughs> like, don't do that, right? But now because I said don't do that, that's the only thing in the entire hotel room that they want to do. I'm like, you can read your books, you can go eat a fruit, you can, like, run around, you can even jump on the bed, because it's not mine, you know? <laughs> but you can do whatever you want, but now the only thing they want to do is that one thing you told them not to do. Have you ever had that experience in your life? <laughs> yes, okay. God here in the Garden of Eden says, eat anything. But the only thing I'm asking you not to eat is of this tree. What I get from that is actually that God is a very giving God. Growing up, for, for those of you who grew up in the church or have grown up Christian, sometimes you can feel like God is restrictive. Don't do this and don't do that and don't play with so-and-so and don't go over here and don't watch this or that. And it's, it's like all these rules, like don't do this, that, then the other. But in reality, God is a giving God. God is, this is what God's goal is. Do any of these things. Just not this. That's the kind of God he is. And we're, we'll, we're about to finish the last two and then we'll switch into the actual story of how the devil flips that around and we buy into it, right? So God is actually a munificent God. Here's the sixth thing, and this one also may not be as intuitive because it's dependent on what we're going to talk about next. God is patient. Um, we will talk about a story that happens before we get to the book of Genesis, right, in the narrative of the great controversy, this story had already begun when Genesis happens. But if you notice what we read, God creates all of these things. And then he makes man and he puts him in the garden. And he says, eat of anything, but just don't eat of this one tree. And, and in that, God is never like, okay, uh, just hurry up and let me know if you're going to be on my side or not. Because uh, let's get the show going. I, I just want to know... I think about, you know, situations where, uh, where you, you just kind of want to know right now. You know, it's like, who am I going to marry? Okay, God, let's get the show on the road. Like, I mean, can you just give me a vision? <laughs> then I'll wait. <laughs> and it's like, and, and, but God is patient in waiting for things to work themselves out. We'll see that as we keep going. And the last thing I wanted to point out, probably the, the, the climax of and the crux of all of this, God is love. Um, you, you, put, you put all the positive attributes together. You put the way that God created, why God created, is because God is love. 
He didn't create us because he needed to. He didn't create the world for us because he had to. I mean, he could have given us oxygen without creating beautiful trees. Couldn't he? I mean, because he, he, he's God. But he was like, you know, I, I want you to be able to breathe and see beautiful things. That's the kind of God that we serve. God is love. But you get to Genesis chapter 3. Okay. We're moving on. We're, we have, what time do I end again? 10.30, right? Okay. Um, we're going to start Genesis 3. And then I'm going to pause, like, give you like five minutes for if you have questions. If not, I'll just keep going. And then uh, we'll, we'll keep going in the next section. Okay. Genesis chapter 3. One of my favorite texts in the Bible. Because it opens the veil to why we are where we are and how things came to be how they are. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Somebody got it? Someone want to read? Now the serpent was more, more subdued to than any other beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Thank you, sister. Uh, Here we have the story, right? Um, God has created Adam and Eve. He put them in the garden. He said, you can eat of anything over here. Just don't eat of this one tree. The serpent comes down. And we're going to read later in Revelation chapter 12 that the serpent is the devil himself. right? The serpent comes and he says, Hmm. I'm curious, Eve. Did God say you shouldn't eat of any tree? How does he put it? Yeah. Did God say you shouldn't eat of every tree? Notice the way that God phrased it. God said, you shall eat of every tree, except for this one. The devil comes and he, and he says, did God say you should not eat of every tree? Do you get the difference? It's kind of subtle, but it's, it's suggestive, right? God has put it in a positive light. Look, I want you to do whatever you want, except for this. But the devil comes and he's like, Is God restricting your freedom? He's telling you you can't do whatever you want because he told you you can't do this one thing. And Eve, here's the problem. Eve stops to talk to the serpent. Don't stop to talk to the serpent. How this relates in your personal life is you will have questions and you will have queries about certain things in the Bible, about your experience even, and that's okay. I remember I was talking to a friend of mine, a college friend of mine, and um, she grew up Muslim. And she said to me, she in high school, her last year of high school, she had a roommate who was Christian, who was a mutual friend of ours. 
And she said, you know what, Siku? Rooming with Grace, with our mutual friend, it made me doubt my Muslim experience. She said, because for all my life, I thought you had to be Muslim to be good. And then I met a Christian who was good. And I thought all Christians were evil. Because, you know, you watch TV and Hollywood is Christianity, you know. And she was like, I thought all Christians were evil, but here's this girl and she's Christian and she's good. And she said, it caused me to start questioning my Muslim experience. And you know what I told her? I was honest with her. I said, you know what? I grew up Christian. And when I interacted with people of different faiths, it actually caused me to question my Christian experience too. Because sometimes you grow up hearing that you have to be Christian to be good. And then you meet someone who's not Christian and they're a nice person. And you're like, you're trying to trick me, right? <laughs> but but here's, the, here's, the, here's the key. You're gonna, you are going to have those experiences. And it's good. Because if you never get to a place where you're, you're questioning and you're wondering about your faith, then you can never affirm your faith. And so what I encouraged her to do, I said, you know what, my friend? I had those questions in my faith experience. And what it caused me to do was to study more what I believe. And I challenged her. I said, I challenge you to study what you believe. Don't just take it because you grew up Muslim. Now you have to be Muslim the rest of your life. If this is causing you to question what you've grown up believing, question it. As in, study it. Not question it as in reject it. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm telling you this because I said this to a Muslim. And I said this with all confidence that if she studies, she'll find Jesus. If she studies the Quran and she asks God to open her eyes to truth, he will lead her to truth. I am confident of it. I say this with confidence to you, my brothers and my sisters. If you've got questions in your mind, if you've got like, man, I remember um, I went through a phase where I couldn't understand prayer. I'm like, what's the point? It's like you're talking to the air. And I told this to a mentor of mine. I said, I don't understand prayer. Like I pray, but I don't get it. And she said, that's good. Study it. Study prayer from the Bible. And I'm telling you, that was one of the richest experiences I ever had. So having a conversation with the devil is when instead of studying for yourself, instead of going to God, Eve could have been like, hold up, I, I don't know what you're talking about, just give me a sec. God, the devil said, you know, and you go, go study it out with God, like figure it out. Instead of that, she went and doubted the word of God. And she was like, yeah, man, you don't have to be a Christian. You can be whatever. I mean, you don't even need God. Like, you know, forget this religious... Wars have been fought, more wars have been fought over religion and become an atheist. Sad story, but I have, I have friends who've gone that route. So I, can I, can I, have I said this clearly? When you have questions, don't be afraid of the questions. Take those questions to God in prayer. Study the Bible for the answers and you will find them there. Do you follow? Am I clear? I'm not encouraging skepticism. I'm encouraging Bible study. Amen? Okay, the devil says, has God truly said? And the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you must not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. And then the serpent said to the woman, here, blatant lion, this is a genius lie, I hate to call it genius, but it is. 
he says, you shall not surely die. This is the first recorded blatant lie in scripture. Um, why is it genius? It's genius because um, if you tell me something, what's your name, sister? Emily. Emily. Uh, and you're Alyssa. Okay. If Emily comes to me and says, you know what, Siku, I've known Alyssa for years. And Alyssa, that girl's a liar. I mean, she just, everything that comes out of her mouth is not true. I'm like, really? Hey, Alyssa, is it true that you're a liar? And then Emily says, I told you she was a liar. <laughs> That's the brilliance of the lie. Right? It puts God in a position where whatever he says, it doesn't make a difference. At least as far as the accusation goes. Do you follow what I mean? God said, if you eat of it, you will die. The devil says, if you eat of it, you won't die, which means God is lying to you. If Eve goes back to God and is like, God... If I eat of it, will I die? He's like, yes, you'll die. She's like, devil warned me about you. You're a liar. And so the devil puts this, this first through insinuation and then blatantly, he puts this question on the character of God. Here's the biggest question. What kind of a God? And here, now the devil... He, he expounds, right? What kind of a God would stop you from eating of this tree? Verse 5. God knows. In his omniscience and his all knowledge. He knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be as gods knowing good and evil. The reason that God is stopping you from whatever it is you're trying to do in your life is because he's trying to hold you back. You want to go out and party, but then they're like, don't go out there and whatever. It's because they're trying to hold you back. You want to go and, and live whatever kind of life you want to have, whatever kind of relationships. They're just trying to hold you back from what you could accomplish. Because they know that if they let you go, you're going to become even greater than you ever imagined. What kind of a person... Hold you back from something good. Does a person love you? If they're, if, if they're trying to hold you back from something that would make you happy, are they, are they nice to you even? Do they care about you? What, what words would you put to such a person? What kind of a person withholds good things from other people? Evil. Evil. Selfish, insecure, I like that word, yes, insecure, God is insecure, jealous, jealous, the word that came to my mind was mean, <laughs> I think it's because I got little kids, I'm like, God is just mean, you don't want me to do what I want to do, so all these things that we said about God, forget that. God is mean, insecure, jealous, selfish. These are all things insinuated by the devil. This wasn't the first time the devil was insinuating these things. He did it before he came down to the Garden of Eden, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, 
Should we start? Or like, I'm like, we won't even finish that section. Okay, let's take a vote. We're about to go into now the, the pre-story of the story. Uh, who thinks we should just start in the next session? We can do Q&A and like, take a breather. Or we can start delving into it right now. Who wants to start right now? Okay, hands down. Who wants to just chill? All right, let's start. <laughs> All right. If you want to chill, you can you, close your minds. All right. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 1. There appeared a great wonder in heaven and a woman, clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child travailing in birth, pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns upon his heads, uh, let me pause there. You know, starting in January, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation for the Sabbath School Adults Bible Study Guide. Who, who knew that? Yeah? Okay. I'm stoked about it because um, I grew up scared of the book of Revelation. I mean, petrified. This was the, the torture. If my brother wanted to torture me, he'd be like, go to your room and read the book of Revelation. Straight up, and I'll go to my room. I don't know, like I don't know why I'll even open the. I'll go to my room and I'll be like, oh, a dragon. <laughs> I shouldn't have just read it, but but it it was scary to me because I didn't understand, and it's like beasts and dragons and fire and brimstone and smoke and torment, and it was scary. But here's the good news: when you got a question, what you got to do? Study it, right? When you actually study the book of Revelation, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of Jesus. It really is. Um, I, with my friends, we, we do a TV show called Inverse. Has anyone heard of it? No? Yeah. Okay. We do a te- television show called Inverse, and in preparation for next quarter, we were studying the book of Revelation together, and I'm telling you, it was just mind-blowingly, like, I'm super excited about the study for next quarter. So, shameless plug for Sabbath school. Study the book of Revelation. Amen? <laughs> no amens. People are like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so here we have these symbols in Revelation chapter 3, uh, 12 verse 3. There was a one day in heaven, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Hold up. Verse 9 simplifies it, okay? The great dragon was cast out. Who is that dragon? That old serpent called the devil and Satan, okay? No need to be scared. There's no dragon hiding under your bed. This is talking about the devil, right? And what it's telling us in verse 3, oh, sorry, verse 4, was that the dragon was up in heaven and he drew a third part of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Okay, but we keep reading because it clarifies even more as we keep going. Reading verse 7, there was war in heaven. You know, you, you imagine heaven is like 
little babies sitting on their, uh, floating on uh, clouds, playing little harps, right? But here, heaven is a real, like, it's intense. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. Okay, I I don't know if any of you are into that worldly, like, um, movie stuff where, like, they're fighting creatures. (laughs) I'm, I'm not into, like, fighting stuff. It's scary. But this is like worse than that, is what I wanted to say. This is like a cosmic war. Michael and his angels, like imagine these majestic beings, there is a conflict that is happening. And it's to the extent, verse 8, that they prevailed not, the dragon and his angels did not prevail, neither was there a place found anymore in heaven, and that dragon was cast out. And was cast out to the earth. That's where you get in verse 4 that he took one-third of the angels from heaven. How intense of a battle must it be for one-third of angels? We're not talking about human beings. We're not talking about fallen people. We're not talking about you and me. We're talking about angels up in heaven. One-third of them left heaven. How many of you want to go to heaven? Okay. Most of us here want to go to heaven. And it's based on what we've heard of heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And heaven, heaven is, is beautiful and it's peaceful. Why would these angels one third okay, one third is like uh, a lot. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is this is a little less than a half. And then one-third is like, you know, minus these front ones. Right? They're about? So it would be like all of those people not coming back for the second part of the seminar. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not like that. It's, it's way worse than that. Why would these angels leave heaven? Let's bow our heads and pray and we'll take a break. Loving Father, we are so thankful for the gift of the Word of God. Lord, we pray that as we study your word, we could come to a deeper understanding of its truths, that they would impact our lives, that our lives would be transformed as a result. Lord, help us to understand the themes that are contained in this cosmic meta-narrative, and then figure out how it applies to our lives personally and individually. We thank you for hearing our prayers in your name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. GYC, supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.